Well, hey, everybody, this is Chris Eller coming to you with a special podcast that we're going to talk through with our teaching team. So uh, I'm Chris. I'm Todd. I'm Eric. And I'm Carlos. And we are going to be looking uh, this week at the topic of Hezekiah and prayer. And Chris, it might be good to give just a brief word about Eric's presence here. This is his first time in a podcast, and they may not have heard his voice before. So, um, yeah, Eric, you want to just give 60 seconds? Why you're here at the table today? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, thanks for the invite, guys. Uh, so I'm Eric and currently serving as a church planning resident here at First Family and have an opportunity to sit with the teaching team once a week as they prep to teach. So you get all the hard questions today, right? I'm going to pass them on to Carlos. <laughs> good idea. And we've got some good questions we're going to look at this week. We're going to be talking about King Hezekiah and prayer. And I think one of the first questions that probably comes to my mind is, is who is Hezekiah? I mean, what? give us a little background of, of who this king was and why we're looking at him this week. Let's each take maybe one uh, factoid about his life, maybe. He was king of Judah. Is he that was, correct? Yeah, he was one of the good kings of Judah. One of the good kings of Judah. Yeah, and he even went uh, beyond some of his predecessors who were not willing to take down the high places. Hezekiah actually took mm-hmm. them down. Mm-hmm. So he brought reform. He was uh, um, successful in, in many ways, and yet he was um, afflicted with an illness. It really doesn't tell us what the illness was, except to say that it was a fatal illness and that he was going to die. And Scripture is very clear that he prayed, and God heard his prayer and gave him another 15 years to live. And so kind of the the whole context of what we're looking at is is our prayer and how we um, relate to our daily problems, in this case, Hezekiah's illness, and how those sometimes are heard by God, or as it appears to us sometimes, like they're not heard by God. And so as we kind of begin looking at this, one of the challenges that I think theologians wrestle with is the appearance that God can change his mind. Does our prayer cause God to change our mind? And are those the right words to use that God changed his mind? So what you're saying is, or asking is, here's a certain situation, it looks like this, we pray, and then it changes and looks like this. And so what we're wondering is, did God change his mind in the midst of that? Did our prayers actually change God's actions or mind, right? Right. And okay. I think this is even underscored by the wording that the Bible used, in, especially in Isaiah uh, 38, where there, this parallel passage when Isaiah comes to Hezekiah and says, thus says the Lord, put your house in, in order because you're going to die. So it seems like a, it's more than just a, you know, a doctor saying, hey, I think you're sick. I mean, this was God's prophet, Isaiah, saying, thus says the Lord, you're going to die. You know, we're in territory that is admittedly hard to navigate because we have a finite mind. God's infinite. I think one thing that's in play, and this will be more from a literary point of view, is I think sometimes the author's by the Holy Spirit's inspiration, relay things in a way that helps us understand uh, God's emotional character, if I'll call it that. He is spirit, but yet we know he uh, feels things for his people. He has compassion. He loves. So what, I think. What do they call that? Well, it's personification the, in one sense. But in yet one of them, there's a word when, when you uh, apply human characteristics to God. In other words, the eyes of the Lord mm. are searching out. So okay. Anthropomorphisms. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so like, you know, um, and there's there's others like that. But I think the, the other term that Tom, or that Todd is referring to in theology would be known as the condescension of God, where God, an infinite being, 
comes down to our level and communicates to us in a way that we would understand where some of the confusion comes in is then we begin to interject our finiteness, our mistakes and our inabilities because he's come down to our level and then we project those or put those on God. So for instance, we're talking about God changing his mind. We change our mind because we're, we've been corrected or we learned from a mistake. And so we tend to put that upon God. Exactly. And that's not necessarily true. Another good example is like King Saul. When God said, I repent that I've made King Saul, then later it says, I'm not like a man that I repent. So we tend to use the word repent, like Carlos said. We filter the repentance of God through how we repent. Mm. So I just think we have to be careful that we're trying to deal with something in which the writers are trying to help us understand something about God, and it's very difficult. So I'm not saying we're experts, but the word condescension is a great word. That's part of the picture. Part of the picture. Yeah, and so, I think... Go ahead, Eric. Yeah. So so would you say that in that sense, because we're taking our finite understanding and applying it to God because he's stepped down, so to speak, so that we can understand that that's just wrong thinking about who God is and his character? Well, I think it's natural for us to do that. So I don't know if we're necessarily sinful when we do that. Um, obviously, that's a hard issue. Mm-hmm. I think that's kind of a natural reaction. I think, though, when we naturally react that way, we also need to remember that God is near us, but he is not like us. And so that should begin to shape us and the way we think about him. Um, so in this particular instance, I like to, to say it this way, that when God decrees to Hezekiah, he will die, get your house in order, Hezekiah humbles himself because of his pride, mm-hmm. God then changes direction, right, in the moment. But on the uh, theological side of things, God knew that was going to happen. So did he mm-hmm. really learn from his mistake or decide? No, he knew that was going to happen. And, and I, I think that's one of the theological issues that people wrestle with today. So there's a, a concept called open theism mm-hmm. that is um, it's a relatively new theological concept. I I think it's something that's been brought about in the last generation by theologians. Basically is, if I could just describe it in a very simple sentence, it's that God does not know the future. He's... he's On specific issues, I think, that are moral. Right. Isn't that kind of one of the caveats? For example, this particular case is an issue where it appears that God changed his mind. God told Mm -hmm. Isaiah to tell the king, you're going to die. And then... A couple of verses later, because of his prayer, he changed his mind. Well, does that mean that God didn't really know the future, or does that mean that he changed his mind? And so how would you respond to this from a person who is saying, see, this demonstrates the principle of open theism. God doesn't really know the future. Um, how would we respond, Eric? <laughs> <laughs> no, That's I, a good question. What do you think, Carlos? Yeah. <laughs> It's kind of what so, he said earlier. Yeah, so simply, I, I think, um, you know, it's a very, uh, it's a newer, what we call heresy or uh, incorrect doctrine about who we understand God is. So for one, just on very simple terms, you know, from what we get from the text, this is narrative, right, uh, literature. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say that God does not know the future. Right. We have other scriptures that are very clear that he does, that he knows everything, 
that he has ordained everything from beginning to end and everything in between. Uh, and then, so when we talk about, you know, this open theism concept, we need to remember simply, like, what does it say? What doesn't it say? You know, the fact that God changes direction in response to our prayers, this isn't the first time. We saw it in, in the likes of a man who is as wicked as Ahab, humbles himself even though God, God decreed he was going to die, and God changed. And we see it in the life of Jonah going to Nineveh. Right. We see it in Jonah. We see it in Moses, where God says, hey, I'm just going to wipe them all out. Start I'll fresh, just start with, fresh you. with you. Yeah. I think... And, oh, go ahead, Carlos. No, see, so I think part of the element here is that God is testing his servants. And when they respond well in humility, he therefore relents or changes direction on the judgment he decreed. And don't you think... That's a better description. Relent. I like I like that word better than repent. I think repent comes from more of the old King James language of the Bible, which means a change. I mean, literally, repentance is what a, a change in direction, right? So they're saying that that things are moving this direction, and because of a prayer, God changes. But I think relenting seems to lean more upon God's mercy and his love and compassion for people mm. as opposed to the fact that he just repented of a decision mm. he had made. I think in this case you hear the heart of Hezekiah, and in his compassion, God mm. grants him another 15 years. Does that mean that Isaiah was wrong then in, in saying, thus says the Lord? How no. would you respond to that? I think Isaiah did say what God told him to say, and then God's compassion provided an alternative, and then Eli, uh, excuse me, Isaiah said what God told him to say next. At no point, I don't think, did Isaiah give false prophecy. He did what God, he said what God said. Um, so yeah, I don't think that makes Isaiah a false prophet. That's a good point you made before we went on, before we went on air, that it could make a false prophet out of someone if they feel like, well, I said that, now you're going to do that. Right. But he was actually accurate each time he spoke for God. He was, yep. So, but also consider this and this is rarely brought into the conversation, but Isaiah's prophecy from the Lord, word from the Lord, put your house in order, you, you will surely die, does come to pass. It's a good Hezekiah point. does die. Right. Mm -hmm. Ahab does die, right? So um, it's just God gives a, he relents on the timeline. He goes, you're still going to die. What you did was still sinful, but I'm going to give you grace because you humbled yourself. And uh, you humbled yourself of your pride. And I think that's another um, tough thing for us to comprehend about God is that he is operating outside the domain of time. Uh, yes. He's eternal. And yet when he interacts with mankind, it's within the confines of time. And so yeah. we, we cannot comprehend eternity. And we have to try and look at things in a very linear fashion. But they're not in God's economy. I mean, he's, he's eternal. And so there's that kind of barrier there between eternity and time that where things can get really, um, I think, complicated for us sure. in our finite mind to yeah. try to understand. Two good words we learned today would be condescension. This was transcendence. Yeah, you know, we have to exactly. wrestle with both of those that are part of God's character, and we will never fully grasp those two things. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought that up because... You know, when you read these guys who 
are uh, teaching open theism, what they're trying to do is explain away the difficult passages of the Bible, and we just have to be willing to recognize God for who he is. He's not like us. He's beyond us. And that means, by necessity, that there's just going to be some mystery there to the person of God, things that we're not going to know, like, well, how does that even work that he's just always existed? We can't rationally explain that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Another question that we can wrestle with, that um, it's, an, it's a complicated one from our perspective as far as human beings, and it appears that there are times when God hears or listens to our prayers, and there are times when he doesn't. So in this case, we see Hezekiah praying, and God responds positively to his prayer. And yet, we know of several examples, including one of Moses, where Moses prayed and asked the Lord to allow him to enter the promised land, and the Lord said no. In fact, the, if, if you look in Deuteronomy 3, verse 26, it, it said the Lord would not listen to Moses anymore right. on this issue. So what would you say to that person who says, I don't think God's hearing my prayer. Why does he answer Eric's prayers, but he doesn't answer my prayers? So I'll start that off by just saying this. I think in those cases, as well as in Paul's case about his thorn in the flesh, mm-hmm. uh, it must be that God is operating from an ultimate purpose that is beyond us. Mm-hmm. I can't explain that, nor do I say that it makes our situation easy or better it it may not resolve anything but his answer of no at times must be that the ultimate yes is to come later because in all those situations it does seem that god's ultimate purpose is on a timeline different than the one who's asking the request so we think short term god's thinking long term so i would just say if you get a no there must be an ultimate purpose that we're not aware of so are we asking if god hears the prayer or or are we asking, what do we do if he says no to well, the Let's prayer? take the first one first. Do, okay. Does God hear the prayer? Does it, is it fair? What do you mean by hear? Okay, does, is it fair of someone to say, God doesn't hear my prayers? He's no. not even listening. He's not even, he's not even there. Yeah, no, I, I would totally disagree with that because, I mean, God is sovereign and knows everything, so he obviously hears the prayer, right? I think what's in question is whether or not he chooses to respond and what that response is. But I think that goes back to what Carlos was saying earlier is that that's us putting our finite understanding on God that I don't even think he's here. I don't even think he's hearing us when in reality he is hearing. He's just choosing to not respond in the moment. Or maybe he's just responding with a no. Right. That's a response. Right. Isn't that the response really that Moses got? I mean, it wasn't that God didn't hear his prayer. It's right. that God said, no, I'm not allowing mm-hmm. you to enter the promised land. Yeah, same thing with Paul. You can re- go... Re- remove my thorn of the flesh. No, my grace is sufficient for I you. I mean, mm-hmm. God created one of those observation lookouts with the, the telescope thing, and that's where Moses went up and dropped the quarter in, and he could look into the... <laughs> See seven states from Lookout Mountain. <laughs> yes, yes, that was it. That's right. That's where the original lookout came from. That's right. So, But God said to Moses, basically, I'm... I'm paraphrasing this, but I'm done talking to you about this, right? Mm-hmm. It's like he heard the prayer, and the answer was no. Mm-hmm. And yet, I think sometimes when we hear no, we think, well, God didn't hear my prayer. Mm-hmm. And because that's the verbiage we often use in church. And yeah. Maybe the onus on, is on us there. 
to change our language a little bit. Yeah, and to, to recognize that God does answer, and sometimes it's no. He always answers. And I think we also need to remember that um, nowhere does the Scripture teach us, which means nowhere does God teach us, that he is obligated to do what we ask him. Mm. In fact, it does tell us that when we ask in accordance with his will, then he will give us the request. Mm-hmm. So when he says no, what we can know for sure is like, well, that must not be God's will to say yes right now. Maybe it's a not yet, or maybe it's a no, never. But it's not as though he doesn't answer. Which, which goes back to Todd's point that the ultimate yes is probably what's more important, right? That that we're still not understanding in the moment. Like, okay, yes, I desire this, but God is saying no because there's something else down the road that he has in store, right? But let's let's admit that's hard. Oh, Absolutely. Yeah. For, our, for our people in our church, mm-hmm. for us, that's not mm-hmm. an easy posture to hold. So can we push pause for a minute, Chris, and these things about prayer? And um, let's talk, if we can, about how this affects people in our church who are praying. Last night we held a prayer mm-hmm. service. You've been very instrumental in over the last probably three years helping prayer have a deeper DNA connection around here. And so as our people are praying even last night, some of those requests, some of those moments will not be answered. How do we keep encouraging our people that prayer is not just getting what you want from God? Or how do we keep them encouraged to have the right posture like we're talking about here? Chris, I'll start with you. Can I throw it well, back in your lap? Sure, I think, I think if we look at this almost as a parent-to-child relationship, um, so God is the Father, we're the children. Think about your, your own children. I mean, they ask you for things all the time that you... Um, you just are not open to giving to them. It could be something as simple as when your kids are young and you take them to the grocery store and they want candy and mm. you're telling them, you know, no, I'm not going to buy you a candy bar. Again, we're, we're looking at the immediate benefit. And I always, I always like to quote that great theologian who, who said he's thankful for unanswered prayers. I think that was Garth Brooks. <laughs> but... Um, <laughs> Poor Eric, he has to put up with this stuff. It's just constant. I'm I'm upset that I knew the reference. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, another factor I think that we we can lean into is uh, Romans nine fifteen, addressing specifically what happens with um, with Moses here, and he says, "I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion." And I think that's what. We, we forget that God is sovereign over his own answers, too. That God will look upon some people with mercy while others he doesn't. We don't really know why. It's not because one person is better at prayer or um, we don't understand the whole context of, again, eternity versus finite. Yeah. We, we, go ahead, Carlos. No, I was say it because you're right, Todd. You know, for us, this is where the rubber meets the road. It sure it's is. hard because... There is, whether we're praying for someone to be healed of a sickness or for Mm -hmm. God to provide a job or God to bring about reconciliation in a uh, relationship or grant somebody repentance and save them. Mm -hmm. These are things that in and of themselves, they're they're good things. They're good desires. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's true. And God at times says no or not yet. And it's hard to live with that. Mm -hmm. But I think like anything, when we're talking about our relationship with God, it comes down to, do we trust him? 
Amen. And, that, exactly and so it's right. the element of faith where it's like, you know, Lord, I don't know what you're doing. I don't know why you didn't say yes. I don't know why you're allowing this to happen. But at the end of the day, I'm not you. You know more than I do. I trust you. As hard as that is. Mm-hmm. Especially in the midst of trials. It's hard. But mm. prayer is the posture of dependence. You're right about yeah. that. You know, Chris, one thing that I think has really benefited First Family, and not everyone who listens goes to this church, I realize that. But just in this journey that you've kind of led for our church, even in last night's prayer service, um, we're not starting with our request. I think that's been the largest turnaround for me personally, and even mm-hmm. for our churches to realize we come in reverence of God and who He is and His holy name, and when we start there and with his word, you know, like you call it, I think you learned it from Daniel, but just the idea of scripture fed, it's changed us to realize prayer is not a long pole by which we get God to do what we want. Amen. And it's just been refreshing to see that even across our church to gather, even if we get to know, man, we're going to worship God in prayer. Yeah. Amen. Yeah, that element of worship, that element of mm-hmm. thanksgiving, which obviously comes from his word. Mm-hmm. Amen. I, I think one last thing on this issue of when God says no, and when we have to trust him, even though we don't understand, you know, Paul gives us that instruction. You know, first he says, you know, the Lord is near, so he knows. Therefore, don't be anxious about anything, but bring your requests, make them known to God, you know, with thanksgiving and the peace of God. So even though he may not grant us what we've asked, but at least he will grant us his peace, mm-hmm. Right. The peace of God will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. So even though God may say no, when we come to him with open, humble hearts, he, he will grant us peace with his answer. Man, we had an invitation right now, man, the response yeah, time. Sure. <laughs> That's some well, good and, preaching right there. And I think, too, that trust and peace that comes with that and knowing that God understands the ultimate plan, even when the answer is no, I think gives us the ability to come back continually in prayer and continue to make requests because I know, I don't know the answer, but I know the person who does. And I think even having a, uh, a person who is interceding on your behalf that, you know, sometimes I think we can get so wore down in the trials of life that um, even the act of praying is, is difficult, but to have, to know that there are others who have locked arms with you and are interceding on your behalf with mm-hmm. you. That's one of the most powerful things of the body of Christ, that we can yeah. we can walk through life together and that we uphold one another in prayer and then um, encourage one another in our own sufferings. And as, as we have suffered, so now I can encourage others in who are suffering during this time of trial. Yeah. I think one of the, just some shoe leather type, aspects here where we can get down to some basics about Hezekiah. One of the things that I think people struggle with when they have an illness and it comes to prayer is, should I seek medical help or should I trust in the Lord? Should I have faith? Mm-hmm. Are those two things contradictory in your mind? Is it is it a lack of faith if you seek medical help as opposed to just trusting that God is going to hear your prayer and heal you? I don't think so. I think one is a providential means of answered prayer, and the other may be a miraculous means of answered prayer, and God can use both, sometimes separate, sometimes together. Yeah, sometimes we we use the the language of God answers through ordinary means. Ordinary means, yep. Right, like a doctor, uh, a medicine, Mm -hmm. or something like that, or where we do, do something in order to bring about 
the, the healing or uh, extraordinary means, whether it's all of a sudden someone has a lump of cancer and next thing they know it's gone. Mm. Obviously, there's nothing that we did. Obviously, God did that. So God gets to choose when he does that. But that doesn't mean you have a lack of faith because he might answer it through ordinary means. I mean, all four of us here are wearing glasses. God used that method to help us see better. (laughs) So the other thing is, I mean, and I'm here, I've had some pretty bad sicknesses where if it weren't for modern uh, medications, like 100 years ago, I would have been dead. Yeah. Is this is this medical treatment? So in our back to our story on Hezekiah, Second um, Kings 20 says Isaiah comes to him and he says, this is what the Lord says. I have heard your prayer and seen your te- tears and I will heal you. Then Isaiah said, prepare a poultice of figs. They did so and applied it to the boil and he recovered. Do you think that's medical treatment? Back in Old Testament times, I, I wouldn't mean, have any idea. <laughs> it's, it seems like there's something beyond just prayer that's going on there. Mm-hmm. That they are applying some kind of treatment mm-hmm. that, in their day and age, probably was some kind of medication. Maybe it's similar to like farmers; they pray for uh, rain, and yet they go out and plant their fields. Amen. Yeah. So maybe they're like, "Hey, we prayed. God said He healed, but we know we have to do this as well." And, Maybe considered like an ordained means? Yeah, ordained, ordinary means. Mm-hmm. Uh, and maybe it's that was a cure known to them that sometimes worked and sometimes it didn't. And maybe yeah. God asked uh, Hezekiah to do this, like, hey, in a demonstration to show that you believe what I'm telling you, go and do this, and I'll use ordinary means to heal you. One of the questions that I, um, it, kind of looking at the broader context of Hezekiah's life, um, we see Hezekiah being labeled a, a good king. In fact, um, he was probably one of the better kings in, in the things that he did. And yet, his son, Manasseh, is recorded as one of the most evil kings that ever reigned in Judah. What can you learn about parenting from that example, where you have one of the good, great kings of Judah who raises a son who becomes the most evil king in Judah's history. Sure. I I think in short, I think it's proof that regardless of how good of a king Hezekiah was or how great of a dad he was, Manasseh still made his own decisions and choose to do what was evil in the sight of God. And so uh, regardless of how closely you're following scripture and following the Lord and raising and discipling your kids, your kids are ultimately going to make their decisions as to whether or not they own their own faith and follow the Lord. So sometimes you have godly parents who do all the right things, but have kids who, right? We've all Mm -hmm. seen that. But then sometimes you see the flip too. And Carlos, I think you mentioned that Mm -hmm. evil Manasseh was grandfather of Josiah. Josiah. Mm -hmm. Explain that a little bit. (laughs) Good luck. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, other than just say God. God, when God grabs that's hold good of a heart, yeah. that's when Amen. those things happen. I mean, we could easily look at Hezekiah and say, well, he must have not done something, right? Because Manasseh turned out terrible. You know, and, but the scripture is really clear. He loved the Lord. He was good. He took down the high places, and he did a lot mm-hmm. of good things. He wasn't perfect, right? He had some pride mm-hmm. that God had to deal with him on, but he responds because of his pride. That's why he's kind of like David. 
-hmm. When he's caught, he responds with repentance. And then you get Manasseh. So yeah, it's res you know, he's the most wicked king. 55, I think, your reign or 54, mm -hmm. 55 years, longest reign, most wicked king. Um, and his grandson turns out to be the best king since David. Yeah. I mean, Josiah is out of this world godly in the sense of faithfulness to God. Other than, you know, that God grabbed a hold of his heart and Josiah responded in faith. His dad, Amen. Ammon didn't. His grandfather, Manasseh, didn't. Mm -hmm. You know, but I will say this because I, I think it can be discouraging for us as parents, you know, because we think like we thought we did the right things. And it's like we're not perfect. No one, there's never mm -hmm. a perfect parent except God. Well, and I think the flip is there's people out there who came from a really messed up home. I mean, their their childhood was as messed up as it gets, and yet they're godly people today. That's mm -hmm. like Josiah. It is. Yeah. So mm -hmm. to to look at one or the other and say this is an automatic, we we've got this figured out. It's not that simple. So I let's mean, talk mm -hmm. to the parents out there, Chris, who on either side of that, the dads or moms who are like, well, if that's the case. Why try? Now, I admit mm. to you that would be an extreme response. But let's just take that for a minute and kind of push back. I mean, the Bible's filled with verses to admonish parents to raise mm. their kids in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Solomon spoke a whole book about raising your sons and daughters to listen to their parents. I mean, mm. so what's really going on here? We can't really make Manassas or uh, Josiah's, and yet we have this instruction to really take our parenting seriously. So yeah, respond to that a little bit. I would say in that, that, that there's an obedience issue for okay. us as parents, right? Not being focused and concerned with what the outcome is on how our kids turn mm. out, but be focused on this is who I am as a Christ follower. This is what God has called me to as a parent, as specifically me as a dad. And so that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to focus on that. There's the, yeah, there's that being obediently, uh, being obedient to the Lord, being faithful. I mean, I think the other, uh, it gives me hope, you know, no matter where my kids end up and is, you know, even Manasseh, the most wicked king who had one of the most godliest of fathers. The godliness of Hezekiah did impact Manasseh. And it wasn't until later on in his life, but he did repent. And God granted him repentance. I think we're going to see Manasseh in heaven, which is, again, not the path we would choose for our children to take the long way home, as it were. But God still uses faithful parents. So to me, I, I think for, as a parent, that gives me hope. It's like, you know what? I've planted the seed. I've given them the truth. Mm -hmm. God will cause the growth, and he'll do it when he wants. I think that as parents, mm -hmm. um, and I'm learning this, I'm... Amen I, I, think, on that. I think one of the think we all are. challenges that a younger parent has is they look at this um, compressed timeline. Like, I've got until my kid turns 18 years old, and then it's mm. it, I have no... You know what? Um, when, when people bring that issue up, I always want to... And they've seen their kids go wayward, okay? Their, their kids are now in their 20s or 30s, mm -hmm. and they're... I always like to point to that mom or dad and say... Did you ever go astray when you were, did you look back on your younger life and think, man, I wish I hadn't done some of the things I did? Yeah. Every one of them says, you know what, that's the case. And it's like, I think that's, that's called life. I mean, we all look sure. back on things in our sure. life that we're like, wow, I wish we hadn't done that. And you know what, as a parent, I wish 
my kids had learned from my stupid mistakes mm. and not done what I did. But you know what? I didn't learn from my parents' stupid mistakes, and I still made mistakes. And I think that, <laughs> well, that is list. part of life. Yeah. And, and so parenting is a lifelong <clears throat> thing. I mean, it's not something that you can look at and say, okay, I did my job, 18, now I just, everything is off on autopilot. Yeah, yeah. And and I would press into that and say that as a younger dad, I I understand the compression of time in the culture that we live in, but I don't think when your kids move out of your house that you lose influence over them. The difference is they're just not with you Amen. as much of the time, right? Like right. I think now as a guy in my early thirties that I have a better relationship with my dad than I did when I was living at home with him. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that's just the nature of being human beings. Right. And, and men that we just kind of butted heads. And now that I'm out of the home and we see different perspective, we can have better conversation. Right. So I would just encourage parents to say it's not limited to those 18 years, but your amount of influence is going to look different. Amen. Yeah. yeah. It's funny. We're all sitting here. We've got Chris and I, we have, our children are on the other end, about empty nesters. Mm-hmm. Carlos is kind of in the middle, and Eric, you're kind of on the front end. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think, personally, it's a miracle that any parent has any kid that turns out well. Amen. <laughs> I mean, we all make so <laughs> many mistakes. And maybe one of the points of this, not the only point, but maybe one of the points is that it's just not healthy or right to try to take credit when it's really God's grace and work the whole time. Like, Amen. really, our kids, if anything good comes out of them, it's God's grace, isn't it? He may have used us in some way, but I mean to try to be the the guy who gets the credit or the debit is just not a healthy approach. Amen. You know, mm. I don't know how to say that any better, but anyway, I, it's just parents. We should work hard at that, but the truth is, we don't do that so we can be the guy at the end of the day saying, "Look what I raised," mm. because man, no one's got that in them. I know I don't. I mean, it's a miracle. <laughs> yeah, I mean, think about it. You know, God's telling us to commanding us to plant the seed of the truth of who He is and all His Word says, mm. right? So, but He gives us the seed. He gives us the strength to sow the seed, but he's the one who causes the growth. He's the one who waters it. He's the one Amen. who prepares the soil yep. of the heart. Right. And so when any child repents and trusts in Christ, it's all God. Now he hmm. used us in that process. Maybe use someone else in that process, but it's always God. When mm-hmm. they grow as well. Yeah. yeah. You're right. Amen. One of the questions that I, um, from this, We've talked a lot about Hezekiah's illness, but what, what were some of the other challenges? I mean, Hezekiah faced some pretty intense challenges in his, his reign. What were some of the other challenges related to foreign affairs and um, some of the issues surrounding Judah at that time that he was dealing with? Well, Assyria was coming after him at some point, and I think mm-hmm. Carlos hit upon this earlier. I think the idea of trust was a constant challenge to him. Does he trust his advisors? Does he not trust Syria? I mean, trying to weigh all of his options. And then I think at one point he took us all of the Lord and just laid it out in front of God and said, what do you mean to do? But you could tell he struggled with perhaps courage at times. He had a short-term thinking and was fearful. And I think trust was all a part of that. Like, man, is God going to come through on this? Is he not? Yeah, the Syria, uh, King Sennacherib surrounds Jerusalem. Mm. And... He does exactly what Todd said. At the end, at, he finally says, Lord, I don't know what to do. And he prays to the Lord. And Isaiah comes and says, you know what? Because you have asked of God, you humbled yourself and, and prayed. Not one arrow will reach the city. And then we see God decimate like 180,000 mm-hmm. of their troops. 
That kind of sounds like this year's World Series, doesn't it? I mean, I think the Red Sox prayed and said not one run run would be scored in the last game of the yeah (laughs) or the first two i think it was as well or something like that man that's that's below the belt that's below the belt (laughs) i see you're not wearing your dodger gear today is that my hat okay okay but even that uh 180,000 deal you're talking about that was after a good bit of deliberation yeah i mean he kind of went back and forth and you can just sense he's times he has some kind of a short-term thinking and he's he's slow to get to this place of faith it seems like so we can kind of relate to that yeah, he, I think he, I think you hit it when you said he. It, it probably is a bottom line trust factor. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we see the faith of Hezekiah, but his faith was always being balanced with his own internal. Like, I need to protect myself, and I need to, I need to take action here. And and he, it was you could see he he struggled with some of those issues as these crises came upon him and upon and they're serious crises don't get me wrong this is not these are national issues yeah this is survival here this is what we're looking at so do you think some of his own lack of faith was a was kind of connected to his pride then because i know he had some pride issues based on other accounts in chronicles right yes yeah that was probably the cause of his the illness i think the lord saw the pride in his heart and it seems there's some connection there in the text between those two. Don't those seem like opposite things to you, though? Like pride wouldn't seem to exhibit itself in a lack of trust. You'd think you'd have overconfidence. So I'm just kind of wondering, how do those connect in you guys' minds a little bit? Well, I think when we struggle with pride, it's because we think too highly of ourselves, and so we're trusting ourselves. And so I think when it interacts with or intersects with being fearful— is then all of a sudden you're confronted with a massive obstacle like this surrounding army and your pride that you've been trusting in and all of a sudden is just crushed. And then all of a sudden that turns to fear because you realize, oh my gosh, I, I can't handle this. Hmm. And so I think maybe that was going on with Hezekiah. But like his father David, at the end of the day, he ends up humbling himself and trusting the Lord. And so I think... Um, we're all different in how we get there, but what God is ultimately looking for is humility and, and trust. Mm-hmm. And that probably brings us to the final question then. Um, did Hezekiah end well? I mean, we know he was a good king and that he did a lot of good things, but did he end well as a king? Did he finish out that final quarter of life and, and um, end well? His epitaph is that he was a good king. Isn't that correct? But I think you make a really interesting point here when you talk about the ultimate test of Hezekiah. Mm-hmm. Like, maybe you want to expand on that yourself, Chris, a little bit about, uh, I think, next to the pride issue a little bit. I think that was a good observation you made earlier. Yeah, I think as you finish out the last part of Second Kings 20, you get to see this scene where um, because of his illness, his fame, let's use that word, I don't know if that's what it is, but um, his fame is spread throughout the region. And the Babylonians actually send representatives to kind of investigate this. I mean, he had been healed of this deadly illness. And so they send representatives. And the way the text is worded, you get this impression that Hezekiah kind of takes them throughout the entire palace and all the things that are in Jerusalem there. And and the sense you get is, look what I've done. I mean, that's not spelled out in the text, but you get this sense that 
he was pretty proud of everything that he had built and the, the wealth that he had gathered and how all of this had been um, given to him by the Lord. And, and Isaiah comes to him and, and, man, wouldn't we all hate to have this conversation with a prophet? You know, someone, <laughs> someone who can, who, who's already got the answer, but Isaiah comes to him and says, what'd you say to these guys? It would no win situation. Wouldn't you? I mean, that's when you just like you hand, tell me, yeah, <laughs> hand plant and and you know. So what'd you say? And and Hezekiah kind of explains it to him, and then Isaiah he says, you know, well, because you're so proud of all this stuff, God's not going to take this away from you in your lifetime, but your sons, grandsons, we know it to be his grandsons. Um, several generations down are going to be made eunuchs and they're going to serve the king of Babylon. And, and he kind of paints this really bleak picture. And then um, Hezekiah's response is just weird, in my opinion. It, it, he, he kind of hears all of that and he's like, well, good. At least it's not going to happen in my lifetime. What does this all tell you about yeah. Hezekiah? Short-term thinker. <laughs> yeah, he struggled with short-term thinking. Yeah. He still struggled with his pride. So, I mean, yeah. just, be, you know, in the, the Chronicles account, he becomes mortally ill because of the pride of his heart. That's what it says. But then he humbles himself, and then God heals him. And then on the heels of that, we're told, and then he brags to Babylon. Mm-hmm. And then Isaiah <laughs> right. comes to him and says, you know, because you did that, right. judgment's coming to your, right. you know, to your progeny, to your, to your seed. And mm-hmm. he goes, well... At least it's not me. I mean, that's, that's pride again. I mean, that's just... And unfortunately, he ends this way. And yeah. so I think the issue you're getting at is he doesn't end well or he doesn't end strong, which, again, we can learn from that. You know, God wants us to persevere to the end. And unfortunately, we get to see some of the warts and black eyes of Hezekiah towards the end of his life. Mm-hmm. Maybe he didn't run through the tape strong at the very end. I've heard folks yeah. use that analogy, you know. Yeah. Like Paul, would Paul say, let's uh, finish the race? How, how do you guys handle this? I mean, you're, you're all in a uh, lead pastor positions. Eric, you're planting a church. Mm-hmm. How do you respond when people come up to you? Wow, you guys have really done a good work here. You know, look at, look at this. This is, mm-hmm. how do you respond to that? I mean, they're, they're marveling at what you've done, <laughs> and it, it can kind of put you in a weird spot. What, how do you avoid being a Hezekiah in that situation? Sure. Well, I wouldn't write a book about my experience and tell you how great I was. <laughs> but some guys do that. But no, I, I think like with any time, anything God has given us the um, opportunity to accomplish or do something, mm. I just personally kind of a tangible way, I always try to turn that into gratitude to mm. try and just direct the attention to the Lord. I'm not saying I always do it perfectly, but I always try to be like, you know what, thank God, you know, that's what the Lord did. Um you know, there's that old statement of of uh, Luther. It's like, you know, he was credited for the Reformation, and he said something like, I I didn't cause the Reformation. All I did was talk theology and drink beer, and God did the rest. I mean, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's, we laugh at that, but, you know, it's it's God who does it, so it's good to redirect our attention to yeah. him and give him the credit. It's yeah. good to always see yourself like a turtle on a fence post. You know he didn't get there by himself. Yeah. And so mm. I think it's a good practice to just defer, like you said, to God, and then be sure that you uh, appropriately credit the people around you. 
I mean, because probably any good leader's got a better team. So just so you know, by God's grace, through the gifts of other people, he's been he's been uh, he's favored as well. That's typically a good answer. I think works for a lot of people. Yeah, I I would agree with what both these guys are saying that if if I'm willing to take credit for something that God has done, then there's going to be destruction somewhere down the road, right? And I'm not where I am because of things that I've done. It's because of the Lord's grace and other men pouring into to me uh, to bring me to this point. And I don't do it perfectly, uh, not anywhere close, and I got a long way to go. But let's, that's true for men as husbands, men as dads. I think that's true for not just senior pastors. I think it's true for men in general mm. in their roles. Uh, you want to fight moms, against pro- honestly. And moms. Moms too. Yeah. I think they, oh, your kids are so well behaved Good or point. your kids are so. But thinking about men, especially in pride, if you can fight pride at every entrance, um, that'll serve you well. And one of the best ways to do that is just don't accept credit. When you know you've got a great wife, your kids have a good mom, you've got a good staff team, or you've got good elders, you've got a good congregation, just who are the people that have really helped you apparently succeed? And, man, give mm-hmm. them credit, and then all of you point to God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. one of my mentors used to say, uh, don't believe the praise that you receive. He just says, because mm-hmm. you're not that great. <laughs> God may have used you, but it's not about you. And so I always, I kind of always hear that voice in the back of my head, and I don't even remember which one it was. It's just like, don't believe the praise. Mm. You're not that great. That's good. I think sometimes, just looking at Hezekiah, that, I mean, he had a very real reminder from God about his pride mm-hmm. in the form of his illness, and yet it appears after that whole experience, he still was ready to take credit for a lot of the things God had mm-hmm. done, and that same seed is in us too. I mean, it, it's just waiting to be watered, mm-hmm. and I think that's mm. you know that's word. one of those wor- those weeds in life that you you can't let that grow. You can't mm-hmm. allow <clears throat> that seed to be watered because it will take over, and all of a sudden you need to hear those things, and you're out mm. fishing for people who are going to affirm you as mm-hmm. opposed to giving glory to God. Mm-hmm. And it's a real it's a real subtle turn. But I think it's something that we all have to fight against. Any other closing thoughts on Hezekiah and prayer or some of the things we've talked about? I'd like to ask you, if you would, Chris, maybe just close this podcast in prayer for those who are listening, that uh, God would just grant them and us supernatural Holy Spirit power to fight against pride. Hmm. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come to you at the conclusion of this podcast, and we don't know who will be listening or when they'll be listening. It could be years from now that this podcast is being listened to somebody who is struggling with issues in their life, whether it's through um, illness or suffering. And Lord, I pray that you would just um, give them the faith to trust in you and to, um, to place all of their trust in you as far as uh, that you are working in their life through through the good times and through the bad times, Lord. It has a purpose in your plan. And for that person who is, is struggling with pride, maybe this has been a pinprick in their own um, conscience that this is something they need to deal with. Mm. And the best way to do that is to begin uh, through confession and to go to a brother or sister and say, this is an area I need to be on guard against. I'm allowing pride to well up within me. Mm. And we know that that is uh, uh, one of the uh, 
powerful tools that the devil uses against us. And so, Lord, I pray that you would just um, be merciful with this person and help each one of us as pastors to always give the glory to you for what you're doing in our midst. Lord, we are nothing but under shepherds serving under the great shepherd. Mm. And Lord, we never forget that these are your sheep and that you died for these sheep and that you've given us the privilege of shepherding them under your authority for a short time. And so, Lord, I pray that you would just help us as men to see that role and to understand with humility the place that you have given us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Amen.